Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Tuesday the 8th of October. Coming up, murder suspect's phone call to police heard in court. She came home Tuesday night. We all went to bed. Uh, and then when me and the kids woke up in the morning, she wasn't there. But her car's still outside. Drugs expert quits government panel after claiming political interference. Ministers have been looking for information on applicants' views on Brexit and some people have been excluded on the basis not of their expertise but on the basis of whether or not they agree with government policy. And Rainbow Crossing unveiled at Kent Hospital. It is so vibrant. I think it is really bringing out the LGBT inclusivity in for trust and also... It's so much safer. Look at it. You can't miss it. Kent Online News. A recording of a phone call made to police by a Kent man accused of murdering his former partner has been played in court. Mum of five, Sarah Wellgreen, was last seen at her home in New Ash Green on October the 9th last year. The jury at Ben Lacomba's trial has heard audio of him reporting her missing two days later. Morning, Kent Police Switchboard. Hello. Um, I want to report a missing person. Okay, and how old is this person? Uh, I know her date of birth. Uh, it's 14, 12, 71. So, I see. And does he, has he gone missing before at all, or is this out of character? She. she. Oh, she. Sorry. And does she go missing before, or is this out of character? Um, I she hasn't gone missing before, but sort of, um, got a bit of a weird life, let's put it that way. Right, okay, so what concerns do you have at the minute? Well, she um, she lives with me. Yeah. She's my, she's my children's mum. Okay. And, uh, and she's not, like, we're not we're not together, we just live together sort of thing. Right, okay. And, and she um, she came home uh, Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday night. Um, and then uh, we all went to bed. Uh, and then when me and the kids woke up in the morning, she wasn't there. Right. And her car, but her car's still outside. I texted her yesterday morning just to see if she was all right and stuff, but I haven't had any reply. And um, she's got two older children, and uh, he, he, her, him and the older one and um, uh, her mum and that have all been trying to get in contact with her because he rang me last night. I was speaking to him. I haven't really spoken who, to who him. Rang you, who rang you last night? Her eldest son, Lewis. There was mobile number. Uh, she's got quite a few. Um, she? Yeah, she's got about six or seven phones. What um, one does she tend to use? Oh yeah, that's what I'll just let me just get it. Okay, thank you. Do you know um, boyfriend's number and address? I do know his number because he texted me last night, but okay. um, I, I didn't know whether to I, I didn't know whether to really contact him because um, Sarah's got a couple of phones that she left like in, that are, were in her room. And I've looked through a phone, like one of them didn't have a lock on it to see what was going on sort of thing. Yeah. And, and one of them didn't have a lock on it and I've got, I've looked through that and I found out that she's sort of like seeing a few blokes sort of thing. Okay. Like, and like, so it looks like she's cheating on him sort of thing. So I didn't... Right, okay, let me just go. Although he contacted me, I haven't replied to him. What did he text you saying? Does he know that she's missing? Uh, yeah, he said, hi Ben, have you heard, know where Sarah is, as Ethan says he hasn't seen her, hold on, he's spoken to my son, he says Ethan hasn't seen her today and her mum, Lewis, Jack, haven't heard from her all day and no messages delivering in any media, we're all worried 
And so if you can let us know if you've seen her or me and her mum are going to have to start a police search as it's been 24 hours. Thanks, Neil. And that was last night, yeah? Yeah, Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday, 10th, 20, 2014. You texted me that. Have you tried to call her at all? I texted her, like, yesterday. Because I saw the phones there, I thought there's no point in me phoning now because <laughs> her phones are there. You got any idea where she might be? No, I don't. 39-year-old Ben Lacomba denies murder and the trial continues. Kent Online reports. Elsewhere today, a man accused of murdering a homeless man in Dover has appeared in court, but a mix-up meant a woman who's also been charged didn't. A judge was told she was taken to Maidstone Crown Court yesterday by mistake and spent the day in the cells. 55-year-old Piotr Lucetta was found in a graveyard last week. Both defendants are due to enter pleas in November. Four men have been arrested after a migrant woman died while trying to cross the English Channel. She fell into the water 25 miles off the coast of Ramsgate in August and her body was later found in Dutch waters. One of the men questioned was in the boat with her. He's now been released under investigation while three others are being held in France. A Kent expert on drugs policy has resigned from the government's advisory panel after potential applicants were asked for their views on things like Brexit. Professor Alex Stevens from the University of Kent has told Keelan on KMTV political interference is undermining the panel's independence. The Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, of which I was a member until recently, was set up in the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act as an independent statutory body to provide advice to ministers on how to reduce drug-related harms. Now, that independence is enshrined in a working protocol between the Home Office and the Council. But recently, um, in deciding who to appoint to the council, ministers have been looking for information on applicants' views, not on, just on drug policy, but on Brexit and on the Windrush scandal. And some people have been excluded on the basis not of their expertise, but on the basis of whether, they not, they, whether or not they agree with government policy. To my mind, that fundamentally undermines the independence of the body, and therefore I can no longer be part of it. Why do you think they've decided to, to get people's views on, on things like, you say, Brexit, Windrush scandal? Well, I did ask for information about why they were doing that and more clarification on the process. They've refused to give that. So I can only surmise that they don't want to have an advisory panel that has on it people with whom they disagree. Now, as I've said, that undermines the whole point of having an independent panel because sometimes that independence will mean that, that it disagrees with the government. So to have the government refusing to accept people on the panel who don't necessarily agree with it, that's not an independent panel anymore. I joined the panel because it was independent. Now it's being made not independent, which is why I've resigned. And have you seen an experience of anyone who's applied and been rejected because of their views on Brexit? I know that I know that at least three cases of people who've been rejected after being considered suitable in terms of their qualifications to be. Only one of those people is in the public domain so far. Information was collected on their views on Brexit. I don't know if they, those views were used as a reason to exclude them. But to my mind, it's just wrong that the government is even collecting views, people's views on Brexit or Windrush, which are completely irrelevant to drug policy and should not be used in making decisions about whether people should be on an independent advisory panel on drug policy. And in, in terms of that, I mean, people, as you rightly point out, collecting the views mm. on Brexit... Does it not seem strange that they would use Brexit as a way to try and understand a bit more about drug policies? It, it does seem strange. It's, it's irrelevant to... The question of Brexit is pretty much irrelevant to the question of how we should reduce drug-related harms in the UK. So it does seem strange that ministers and their advisers are collecting that information in making the decisions on who should sit in the, in, on, the, in, on the independent panel. 
And one of the examples is that of Neve, of uh, Victoria Atkins, who stopped the appointment mm. of Neve Eastwood, who was, uh, for people at home who don't know, executive director of the drugs charity Release. Mm -hmm. Was that one of the examples that made you change your mind about whether designers be on the panel? Exactly. Neve Eastwood is a highly respected lawyer whose expertise on British drug policy is renowned internationally. She would have been an excellent appointment to the panel. Um, she was considered suitable to be appointed to the panel uh, by the appointments uh, the, the, in the appointments process. It was only when information about her tweets got to ministers that she was blocked from joining. She's the one case that's in the public domain. There are others that are not yet in the public domain. And this seems to me, as I said, to be a fundamental threat to the independence of the, of the panel, which is why I can't stay in it. Kent Online News. Police are hunting a man who attacked two members of staff and stole money from a restaurant in Laybourne. He went into an office at Brewers Fair Castle Lake at around half six yesterday morning, wearing a balaclava padded jacket and ski gloves. Officers are looking through CCTV and are keen to hear from anyone with information. Controversial plans for 300 new homes in Whitstable have been approved despite residents saying it could put lives at risk. Almost a 1,000 people have raised concerns about the Grasmere Gardens development in Chestfield. The proposals were rejected earlier this year because it wasn't clear how emergency vehicles would access the site, but another entrance has now been included and it's been given the go-ahead. The first zebra crossing of its kind in Kent has been unveiled and it's rainbow-coloured. It's hoped the pedestrian crossing at Maidstone Hospital will act as a symbol to patients staff and families who identify as LGBT plus and show that the hospital's an inclusive place to work and be treated. Christine has been finding out more from Miles Scott, who's chief exec of the Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells NHS Trust. To me, quite simply, the Rainbow Crossing represents the fact that as an organisation we're absolutely open to everybody. We want all of our staff and all of our patients to feel welcome here and if they've got any issues, about their care or how they're being treated, we want them to raise that with uh, people in the organisation. And I mean, it certainly stands out. What has the response been, you know, from members of the public? You might not even actually know what it's for. Well, we've had a terrific response, actually. So clearly there are people who understand the symbolism of the rainbow and they've been really, really positive. But also many other people have asked questions about it and we've been able to explain to them the purpose. Obviously, in this day and age, you know, times have moved on. We're meant to sort of be a, a more accepting uh, society as a whole, especially here sort of uh, in the Western world. But why do you think it's so important that just, you know, little things like this are, you know, still seen out in public? I think it's really important that people feel comfortable when they're coming to hospital, whether they're coming to work or whether they're coming as a patient. And particularly for our staff, we can't expect our staff to give great care to our patients if they don't themselves feel comfortable and welcome and happy in their own home. And I mean, is this something that had been flagged up before that, you know, people, for whatever reason, may, you know, that may have been in the back of their mind that, you know, there could be some sort of not issue but you know some problem here so we have a 
we have a network uh, for our LGBT community um, and we listen really carefully to what comes uh, comes out of uh, the, the network conversations um, and it's been really helpful to me particularly to hear people talk about their experiences good and bad of the hospital so that we can actually do something to address uh, any negative experiences that they might have. Alex Beardmore works in the radiotherapy department and is a member of the LGBT network. He's told Christina what he thinks of the rainbow crossing. I think it's brilliant that we've got the first LGBT themed crossing in Kent um, and it's all, I think it's also the first LGBT crossing on NHS premises as well. Um, I think it's brilliant but it's working crossing as well and it is so vibrant. Uh, I think it is really bringing out the, uh, the LGBT inclusivity in the trust and also it's so much safer. Look at it, you can't miss it. Um, and you can see that everybody is uh, really slowing down for the crossing and making sure that they're completely aware. So in terms of having, you know, a crossing here at our hospital, especially being the first one in Kent, you might have thought other locations might have, you know, come to mind. Um, why is it, you know, so important and unusual that it is here at our hospital? So I think this is going to be an absolutely brilliant way to show that Maidstone Tunbridge Wells is a very inclusive uh, place to be if you are a patient or if you're a visitor or if you're staff. See, this is a positive thing. I'm not trying to put a negative spin on it, but obviously, and obviously seeing it, it just looks so much fun. Like, yeah. I feel like all of them should be colourful. But is there kind of, I don't know, a, a twinge that obviously in this society, in this day and age, yeah. we're still having to do stuff like this yeah. to show people are accepting. Mm. Obviously this is really a really important point because uh, society as a whole has come on such a long way uh, since you know when I was in school when I was uh, you know very young uh, with things like repealing section 21 in, in schools and this is kind of a step along the way to having completely a completely inclusive society in the UK. Um, a lot of people might turn around and say, why do you still need to do that? You know, everybody feels that they are accepting, uh, but there's always a little thing somewhere, and there's always a little bit of uh, kind of repressed homophobia within the uh, society, and you just need to look around to, to see it, because it, it never quite goes away, it just kind of goes underneath. So the more um, that it becomes accepted part of society, the more you need to speak out about it as well and to make sure that everybody is moving along with the rest of us. Kent Online reports. A 130-year-old tree in Canterbury is going to be chopped down this weekend, despite more than 750 people signing a petition to save it. The county council will say the roots of the tree on London Road are breaking through the pavement and causing an intolerable hazard. Campaigners are angry about the decision, but KCC insists they've looked into all other options and a replacement tree will be planted nearby. Barclays is promising not to close branches in remote areas or towns where it's the only bank left. It means more than 100 branches, including those in Deal and Sheerness, are guaranteed to stay open until at least October 2021. A restaurant in Broadstairs has been given its first Michelin star. Stark in Oscar Road has received the prestigious honour today. The companies in in Crondale, Fordridge Arms near Canterbury and the Sportsman in Seasalter have all retained their stars 
but the West House at Biddenden have lost theirs. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham are taking a break from League One as they travel to take on Ipswich Town in the EFL Trophy later. The Jills lost 3-2 at home to Colchester in their opening match of the competition, while tonight's opponents won their first game against Tottenham under-21s. Last time the two sides met in the league, Gillingham were beaten 1-0 at Priestfield. The managers Steve Evans and Paul Lambert had a bit of a dispute on the touchline. Luke's been chatting to the Jills manager. What's your sort of plans for that game? We'll make, listen, we'll make one or two of the kids will play. We'll, we'll change it completely up. We focus on be Fratton Park next Saturday. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, the majority of the boys that's played today will not be involved. They won't even travel. They'll train on Tuesday morning. It's, there's nothing other than it's, if it, we, we are not as fortunate as going to the Ipswich, they'll be as fortunate to make 10 or 11 changes and we'll be looking even internationals against us. Yeah, we, we look at, we've got a first team squad here of 20. Uh, I'd love to have 23, 24, but we, we, as the chairman says, we, we have to run this club that there's no bolting, there's no bury at the end of it. And, um, and I, I don't think he gets, you know, I don't think he gets the recognition he deserves that having a club, I don't know how long the chairman's been here, 18, 20 years, whatever. 20 years and there's never been a payday missed. There's, you know, there's, he's, he's run the football club where he, where he has to run it. I think he's an example to where some should be. Um, you can't gamble, like for example, Barry. You can't gamble with a club's future. Would ask Barry fans if they'd want to win, get promoted at League Two, or would they rather still be in League Two this season and playing in tough place to go, get like three and a half thousand Mad Berry fans there and, and getting right behind the team, they would rather that Bolton Wanderers. It's a good job they've had the most fantastic owners and no one of them coming in and taking over. But Bolton Wanderers, Bolton Wanderers fans don't want what they've had, do they? Not turn up for fixtures, not in games in a in a club that's I started it as a as an apprentice many minutes ago. It's just but anyway. We we're a, we're a club that, that the chairman has rules the budgets and etc. We are out of our own and we have to respect. Can I ask um, if you've had contact from Paul Lambert or not since that last game? No, no. Listen, we me and Paul normally have a good relationship, <laughs> and uh, we normally have a good relationship. And uh, and and Is we that bo- just put two Glaswegians on a touch. Yeah, I think, we, I, I, think we, I think we I think we both wanted to win the games of bad. I think and I, I think both went home that night and probably were disappointed. Both were disappointed. I know, I know people that know Paul particularly well. He knows the same people that I know, and we both said we were we were disappointed. We were half cheap before the game, and we'll yeah. probably have the glass of wine that we had when we met each other before as managers. And we'll we'll have that after after Tuesday. It's he's he's passionate. I, I don't know who's from the toughest area in Glasgow in terms of hard upbringings. I say it's me. He says it's him. I suppose. Well, Did he say he's from Parkhead? Well, he said he's from Parkhead, and, and, and I think that's in relation to Celtic. Maybe it's Parkhead is two and a half miles, three miles from Camberslang, where I come from. So it's, I, I just know the area that I was brought up. I probably had my brothers. Well, I did have my brothers' trousers and shoes, and they did have holes in them. And I'm, I'm not so sure he was quite at that level. But you know, he's listen. He's. A, I said it before the game. I don't need it anymore. He's a brilliant manager. He'll take Ipswich back into the Championship and win it. He did it in Norwich. And you'll do it again, and then there'll be a much better club in the championship than what we inherited because they inherited a team that was all but relegated. That's it for now, but don't forget you can go to kentonline.co.uk for more news throughout the day. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.